go ahead and have a seat. My name is Tim, the lead pastor here. If, uh, if you're in the room, it's really good to be with you this morning and to be able to stand and sing together. And uh, if you're uh, watching from home, uh, whether you're standing or sitting, it's good, to, it's good to connect with you and to be gathered together in this way. Uh, I wanted to start uh, this morning uh, just by, by taking a moment for us to pause together and to, to pray for uh, Ukraine. Um, many of you know and have been following the news for the last few days. Um, I'm increasingly aware uh, in our connected world uh, that there are people who are not connected. So if you have no idea what I'm talking about, uh, the country of Russia uh, invaded uh, Ukraine several days ago. And um, as of, I think I checked 14 minutes ago, they are still uh, trying to take over the capital city, um, and Ukraine is resisting that. And um, there has been significant uh, death and destruction um, at many, many levels. And uh, we, uh, as followers of Jesus, uh, who just sang that uh, we have hope because Jesus is alive, uh, we want to go to Jesus together and ask that, uh, that he would intervene, uh, that the peace and justice of God would come where it isn't, uh, which is in Ukraine. That's true of a lot of places. Our attention and our hearts particularly go out to Ukraine right now. So um, I want to invite you to, to take whatever posture you would like to. Um, I'm going to read a few verses from uh, the book of First Timothy uh, and then just take a couple minutes just to pray. Um, and so you can pray on your own. Uh, you can listen to the words that I feel led to pray. Uh, but we want to just stop and pause right now and, and pray uh, for Ukraine and for our world. First Timothy 2, verses 1 through 4 say this. I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. And so God, we, we petition you, um, we intercede uh, to you on behalf of Ukraine, and we cry out to you and and just simply acknowledge that this world is not the way that you intended. That, that we ourselves have gone our own way at times and, and certainly those in power and authority have abused it and gone their own way. And as we, as we hear reports, as we see images, as we hear the news of one country invading another, that Russia has invaded Ukraine and seeks to, to take it over and rule it and, and and to do whatever that their motives are, that what we see and what we know is that there is loss of life, that there is violence, that there is injustice, that there is loss, that there is pain. And so we pray against all of those things. And as we talked last week as a community and we acknowledge that there is battle of flesh and blood and then there's a bigger battle. And when we see something like this, it's hard for us not to imagine that there is some kind of spiritual work against you going on in all of this. And so we pray against the powers and the authorities and the principalities that are at work in this, that Satan is having a field day and is smiling and 
we wish that would stop. God, we acknowledge you in this time and in this place and in this very moment, knowing that this is going on, that you are a God who seeks and originates peace and desires it for your creation, that you are a God that creates and defines justice, and we ask for that in the land of Ukraine and the, the people and in the families and in the homes there now that you would bring peace and justice. God, so we lift up to you the people of Ukraine today that we, you would protect them. And God, we pray specifically for President Lezinski, and we thank you for his courage and the way that he's standing against the oppressors that are coming into his country. I ask that you would continue to, to keep him alive and to give him strength. I don't know if he knows you, but would this even be an, an experience in his life that leads him to you, Jesus? And then, God, we also lift up those that are following you in Ukraine. As for those that our pastors and leading communities there. We pray for the missionaries that have been sent to Ukraine over the years, that you would work powerfully through them, that they would be an example of you in the midst of this. And God, we also ask for our entire planet that the powers that be would seek peace and would seek justice and to bring an end to this war and to this violence. And God, also I, I think of the, those that are most at risk in situations like this, and women and children specifically. And to hear reports that mothers are having to leave their husbands and sons to fight. Um, and I realize I have no frame of reference for that, that I can't relate to that whatsoever. And so again, pray and ask that you would bring an end to this violence and to this war, and that you would bring peace, justice, restoration, healing, soon. And we pray all of this in your name, Jesus, because as we just sang, you are alive and you are here. So in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. We're going we're gonna to gather and pray on, on Tuesday morning right in this room uh, at 7 a.m. And so um, if, if you would like to join us, I, wanna, I would love to, to have you here and, and be here in this room. Uh, to pray. Uh, we've been praying at noon on Tuesdays, and uh, that's, that's worked uh, very conveniently for, for some of us that have that lunch break off or aren't working on Tuesdays or happen to work in our church office across the street. That's worked really well, um, but as we've done that for a few months now, uh, we want to move it to the morning time anyways, and it just happens to be that this week we have something very specific to pray for. And so I want to invite you to, to this room at 7 a.m. on Tuesday, and we'll be praying here. Um, we've been sending out a uh, guide on uh, Tuesday mornings really early for prayer and fasting. Um, and we've been doing that since November. Um, and so if you've not been a part of that, I invite you to be a part of that, but specifically for this week, we'll be praying for Ukraine uh, in person here in this room at, at 7 a.m. So for some of you, that's really early. Others of you, that's not early at all, um, but it'll be good to, to gather and, and pray together. So um, two other uh, things that are, that are happening. Uh, this coming week is uh, Ash Wednesday. On Wednesday evening, we'll be gathering in this room for an Ash Wednesday service, and uh, that will start our season of Lent. And again, some of us are familiar with Lent. Um, if you're not, it's a 40-day it's a, a uh, period of preparation that followers of Jesus have been practicing 
Um, if you come from a Catholic background or you know anything about Catholicism or have friends that are in that, um, it's something that, that Catholics have practiced well uh, for centuries and uh, other followers of Jesus have as well. And, and we've been doing it here at, at Mosaic for some time now. Uh, but it's a season of preparation to lead us from Ash Wednesday toward Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday. And so um, we also have uh, this year, we've got a guide uh, that if you want to engage further with uh, the book of Luke, as we've been teaching through the book of Luke, uh, we've got a guide put together. Um, I think we've got a, um, this is a little curveball I'm throwing at you back there, but a, uh, a guide that, that, uh, that you can click on and get, and it, it's just on your phone, and it, uh, um, we've got a team of folks that are writing this and creating uh, resources so that you can engage in what we teach you on Sunday uh, throughout the week in a deeper way, um, and it's pretty impressive. I don't understand how to create this thing, but we've got some uh, fantastic volunteers who have offered to do this, and so they built this over the last couple weeks, and it will kick off next week. Um, so that's a Lent guide for our teaching through Luke through Lent, uh, and it's great. Okay, um, let's do this. Let's, uh, if you've got a Bible, find your way to the book of Luke. Matthew, Mark, Luke, it's the third book in the New Testament. Uh, we're in chapter five, uh, and we have just been walking through the book of Luke last week. Uh, we, we looked at a, a passage of scripture that talked about uh, Jesus uh, performing some amazing miracles, and we talked a little bit about just what it's like to actually believe in miracles today, things that happen outside the realm of kind of the scientific method and what we understand as natural laws. And we spent some time just praying together in our gathering right here. We had four people that we, we asked to pray for a number of days leading up to Sunday, and then we had them pray what God felt led them to pray for, uh, which was that God would work in miraculous ways in our life and the life of our city and our world. And I just want to share with you just um, the encouraging reports that we've gotten back um, of, of people connecting with others through that about their needs, about people just sharing what needs are that we can be praying for. Um, so, some just... Uh, what I would say are kind of just day-to-day uh, tangible needs that we can all relate to, um, some other needs that are very unique and special uh, and really need us on our knees praying for them, and then other uh, heard throughout the wider, let's say, just Christian community uh, in our city, some pretty miraculous things that have gone on, uh, not necessarily related to what we were praying for, but just it kind of just generated the sharing of things. And so I want to invite you to continue to pray that God would work in powerful uh, ways and miraculous ways in our life, in the life of our church, uh, in your homes, in your families, and in our, in our city. Jesus does that. He demonstrates his power in that way, and then he moves on to this next really uh, necessary and critical uh, kind of scene, this experience that we're going to look at today. And so in Luke chapter 5, uh, I'm going to read a, a story, an experience that Jesus initiates uh, that he sees an opportunity and steps into it, uh, and it's formative both for those he was talking to then and for us today. Luke chapter 5, verse 1. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him, listening to the word of God. He saw the water's edge, two boats, left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. 
When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boats to come and help them. And they came and they filled both boats so full they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. That's a miracle. Um, I don't know how many of you are, are fishermen. I have a, a limited experience with, uh, with fishing. Um, I, I don't understand a lot about it. Um, um, I, oddly enough, though, my, my experience with fishing is very limited. I do have a, a, a similar experience to this. The, the, the first time that Abby and I took all three of our boys fishing, um, we, uh, we got fishing gear and we went out to the, to the water's edge just, just like this and um, I had to, to buy the, uh, the little worms that you put on the end of the, the hooks and um, I started doing that. My sons were fairly young and I put one on, I think I put one on Max's first and he he put his, his line in the water, and I, I turned, and I started to put a worm on, on Ethan's. Um, and as I'm doing that, I turn around, and Max is bringing a fish out of the water on the hook. And so I said, okay, just to say, like, get, okay, you, got, you go. And I, I grabbed this one and took the hook out and put it in the bucket just in time to turn around, and, and Ethan's pulling a fish out of, of the water. And so I took that fish off, and we geared him up again, and they put their lines in the water, and then boom, fish came back out, and Owen was too young to hold it, and so um, Abby was kind of helping him and put his line in, and boom, out comes a fish, and, um, and see, we had, we were at a trout farm, <laughs> um, and uh, if you know what that is, I, I grew up in, in Long Beach, California, which is basically part of Los Angeles, um, and we don't have fish in, in Los Angeles, nor any place to, no, we, there's water. And I had never fished very much at all. And so we decided that would be a good idea to go to a, a trout farm. Um, but don't know if you know this or not, but trout farms aren't free. And so we had budgeted what we thought we could spend. And at that pace, uh, we were going to have to leave one of our children there as payment. And so we, we ceased the miracle that was going on and said, that's enough. And then we went home uh, and cooked up the trout and had a, a completely average dinner. Um, that's our, our miraculous fish, fish story, um, which wasn't a miracle because if you know anything about a trout farm, it's just full of, of fish. They're just waiting to get out, and so you could probably stick your finger in and get one out. So we learned the expensive way about that, um, so not necessarily a miracle. What, what Simon ex experienced, and it's Simon Peter. He's called Simon up to this point, and then after this, he's called Peter the rest of the way. So if you're familiar with the, the New Testament and familiar with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Peter is, is who we're talking about. And Peter see, goes out into the boat and, and has this miraculous experience. Jesus is doing something absolutely fascinating in this. Jesus is initiating. Jesus is going towards 
these, let's, I mean, they're, they're blue-collar guys. They are, are fishermen, and they've probably been like fourth-generation fishermen. And the, the lake that I couldn't pronounce is actually known as the Sea of Galilee. And the, the, the Sea of Galilee is this place where they would spend their working hours. And their working hours from, were from uh, evening through the night because to catch fish is, is easier at night in that place. And certainly there's a crowd around in Jesus' teaching, so there's no fish around. And Jesus says, no, you didn't catch any through the night. That was a bad night. Here, put it out and put it over here. And, and Simon Peter, his response is fascinating. See, Simon Peter knows just a little bit about Jesus. He's heard him teach there. He's heard him teach a couple other times. But he's also seen him heal his mom. And so his response to him is, is fascinating. So he says, no, I, I'm actually a, a, a career generational fisherman. I know about fishing. I know how this works. I know everything about it. And Jesus, you're like a, you're a carpenter's son. And right now your status is like a, kind of like a wannabe rabbi. You've had some good teaching moments and you've, you've healed some people. And so you're at the front end of kind of gaining some credibility, but, but you don't know anything about fishing. And his response to him is, is this. He says, but because you say so. He says, like, we didn't catch anything through the night. Like, this is, this is not going to work. I know fishing. This is not going to work. You're a carpenter's son who wants to be a rabbi, and you're telling us how to fish. Like, oh, okay, I'll go along with this. And what he says is, but because you say so. Because you say so. Jesus, you've given your word. It doesn't make sense to me. I don't, I don't get it. It doesn't line up with everything that I know, but because it's your word, and I've seen your word already work. You've taught, and it's been amazing, and it's astonishing, and, and the crowds are left just drawn to the authority with which you speak, and so your word matters. And, and then I, I know about you speaking a word to a demon that's in a person and a guy who had been tormented for years is all of a sudden laying on the ground completely calm and at peace and unharmed because you used your word. And then I saw you come into my house and my mother who was on her deathbed with a fever, you, you actually, you had a conversation. It was really brief, but you had a conversation with the fever. And the fever responded to your word and it left. And my mom is healthy and whole again. And so because you say so, because your word has gone out, I'm going to try it out. I don't know how this is going to go because I'm an expert fisherman and you're a carpenter and a wannabe rabbi, but I'm going to go with this because I know a little bit about your word. It's this, it's this indication, it's this little sign to, to you and I of what, for those of us that are following Jesus, are on a lifelong quest to do, which is to say, maybe with a little bit more respect, because you say so, Jesus, Because your word is this. Because I've heard your voice. And there's ways that we actually hear Jesus speak to me and to you in our world today. And one of the primary ways is through through the Bible, that we go to Scripture and Jesus speaks to us through this. And in some days and in some times, we we can articulate it really clearly. Like, I was reading this and I never understood it before, and now I understand it, and Jesus said this. Other times I was reading this and my mind began to wander, and all of a sudden I realized the Holy Spirit was saying this to me, and I I responded. We're reading scripture, and I can't explain it. But I felt the presence of God with me in that room at that time. And God is speaking to me. Not audibly. That does happen. It's very rare. I've never heard the voice of God, the voice of Jesus, audibly in my life. But I've learned to be attuned to, to some degree, 
the voice of Jesus and the words of Jesus in my life and so that I'm responding and moving with what he's saying. Scripture is one of the primary ways for that. It's the reason why we would bother creating an app and saying, hey, how can we engage more in what God is teaching in our community at this time so that we can be responsive to it and go where he's leading? Another way is to be attuned to the promptings of the Holy Spirit, to the voice of Jesus in our lives, that Jesus has given us the Holy Spirit, that for those of us who have responded to the work of God in our lives, and we've said, Jesus, I believe in you, I want to follow you, that the Holy Spirit is in us, and we're on this lifelong process and quest to go, how do I know when it's you, and how do I know when it's my own thoughts? How do I know when it's you, Spirit, and not what I'm feeling in that day? And to be able to to discern and sift things out and to walk with other followers of Jesus who are a little bit further ahead of us that can say, yeah, yeah, that's not Jesus. Oh, that is. But to go on this process of saying, Holy Spirit, you're with me. How can I respond to you? So that my life looks more like this. Because you said so, I'll go there. Because you said so, I won't go there. Because you said so, I'll say this. Because you said so, I won't say this. Because you said so, I'll give in to those desires and longings. And because you said so, I'll resist those desires and longings. That we learn to hear the voice of Jesus who's always speaking to us, always trying to get our attention, loves us enough to talk to us. The Simon Peter, in a very rudimentary beginning way, says, because you said so, I'll I'll go back out in this boat, and this isn't like a little fishing boat. This is like a 20 to 30 foot, like professional. This is what they did with their lives and had crews that helped them with it. And the interesting thing about this is that Jesus is, is probably in the boat with them. I, it doesn't say so explicitly. There's no, there's no key in the text that says that they, they pulled the boat back up when he was done teaching and he got out. So there's this sense of Jesus is with him. And they start bringing all the fish in, and it gets too full. And Jesus, and Peter looks at his buddies and is like, get out here. This is the best catch we've ever had. And they fill up both boats. And I can't, I can't help but picture Jesus just smirking, like half covered up with fish, just like, eh, told you so. And Simon Peter's like jumped out of the boat, and he's standing in the shallow water, and he's pulling the boat in because it's about to sink, and they get both boats up. And then this happens. When Simon Peter saw this, he's back on shore. Neither of the boats sunk. They came close. All the fish there, some have fallen off the side back into the water. Other people are coming, grabbing the boats, pulling it all the way up out of the water because this is the best catch they've ever seen. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. I, uh, I had this, this memory pop into my mind when I was reading this this week. And it's kind of bizarre, so hang with me for a minute. Uh, when I was a kid, uh, on Sunday afternoons often, we would go um, from our house over to my grandfather and grandmother's house, my, my dad's mom and dad. And we would, we would go there for kind of, I don't know, they called it supper. I'm still not sure what that means, but it was somewhere in between lunch and dinner time. And we would go over and we would, as my sister and I as, as kids would, would walk into the house and my, my grandfather was always sitting in the same chair and we would jump up on his lap 
and we would sit on his lap, and I can still remember distinctly this, this ticking sound that was always around my grandfather, and I remember putting my, my head on his, his shoulder and hearing the sound, not really knowing what it was, thinking it was maybe his watch or something, and later finding out that it was his uh, pacemaker in his chest. It was just kind of weird, but I remember putting my head and hearing that ticking sound and just being with my grandfather, answering questions and talking. And then after we did that, we were free to go and play in the house. And I would always run to the, to the dining room, and in the corner of the dining room was a series of shells built into the side of the wall. And on these shells were the grandkids, and there were six of us. We weren't all there at the same time, but it was the grandkids' toys that we got to play with. And there was old things like... Uh, uh, hot wheel cars that were kind of old and, and beat up and there was some figurines that my sister would grab and we would select our toys for that Sunday afternoon and then we would go in the front room and we would play. And this was a pretty normal thing. It wasn't every week, but it was regular. And one week that we went, there was a new, a new car toy there. And I picked it up and took it in because it was different than all the other ones. It was made out of wood. And I was playing with it and my dad came into the room and I asked him, I said, hey, what, where did this one come from? Like, there's all this old stuff in, in Grandpa's house, and where does this one come from? And he goes, oh. And when he said that, I realized this was, this was different. This one was special. And he said, oh, that's actually uh, Grandpa's toy from when he was a kid. Grandpas are generally old, and so their toys are old. And all of a sudden, based on my dad's reaction and looking at it and putting the pieces together, like this was like antique, like it might have been close to like artifact kind of wood. It didn't look like anything I'd ever seen toy-wise and it was all, the wheels were almost falling apart. And as I looked at it, I realized this is, this is from my grandfather's childhood. This is a special toy. And I immediately stopped touching it and certainly stopped running it into the other cars. And my dad was a little like, uh, I'm not sure what, uh, you know, uh, how did you get a hold of that? How did that get on the thing? And so I took it to grandpa and said, like, hey, here, here I, don't, I think this is supposed to be like it's set aside and, and special and separate. And he goes, no, play with it. Play with it. Go for it. Run it into the other ones. Enjoy it. Do what you want with it. It's for you. And what that did to me in that moment was like, this is, this is a special set-apart thing. And yet you're saying, just enjoy it. Simon Peter experiences Jesus. All of a sudden, everything aligns for him and it clicks. You're not just a wannabe rabbi. You're not just a, a really effective, good teacher that, that speaks with authority and amazes people. You're not just some special kind of magician that can cast out a demon that can heal my mother. There's something even more unique and special that there is no one like you. I've never encountered a human being, a person in the flesh that is like you. And so his only reaction is to cling to him and say, get away from me. He falls at his knees and I picture him wrapping his arms around his knees and saying, in this weird scene of, I'm going to hold on to you, but I need you to go away from me because you're different than me. You're special than me. Get away from me. I'm not worthy. I'm aware that I'm a sinful man, that the thoughts I had in my head when I said, because you said so, weren't the purest thoughts. That if you would have known what I've done this past week or the things that I'm engaged in, and the, the man that I am, I am a sinful man compared to you. We should not be together. We should be separated. I am not worthy to be around you. 
And Jesus' response to Simon Peter in that moment is the response that he has in the moment right now with each and every one of us. That yes, he is absolutely holy and unique and set apart and powerful and has all of the authority to create with his very words this entire universe. And yet he actually wants to be with us. That we're not called to separate and set aside something, but he says, no, 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 come. Be with me. Hang out with me. Enjoy me. Don't run away. Don't be distant. Don't be far away. I'm actually made for you and created. You're created for me. You're made for me. I love you. I had a hand in making you. Let's be together. And Simon Peter's world is just shattered. When my grandfather said, hey, enjoy it, play with it, it rearranged my whole place that I fit in in his world, that I mattered in a whole nother level that I wasn't aware of before. And Jesus calls his first followers, his first disciples, with this powerful demonstration of how valuable and meaningful they are. When we choose to follow Jesus, there's, there's three things I want to point to real quickly from this story that, that are always to be growing. Followers of Jesus are always to be growing in three things that come right out of this story. And the first one is awareness of Jesus. That as we are invited to, to know and follow Jesus, that our awareness of who he is is to grow over and over and over and over over the course of our life. And specifically in one area, although we can list so many, but specifically in one is, is his holiness. And holiness has this idea of being set apart and different, that there is no one else like Jesus. And so then when anything else begins to compete with Jesus in priority in our life, in uniqueness in our life, in the place that we put him in our life, we're to identify it quickly and say, nope, to learn more about Jesus, that he, there is no one else like him and no one else that can do what he can do. And nothing that we can create, fabricate, or or write a story about in our life can create, can become like Jesus, that he is holy and set apart and unique. And that we're to grow in that over the course of our life as we learn his voice and who he is. The second thing is this, that we're to grow in an awareness of ourself. And one of the things that this, this moment that Jesus has with Peter is so powerful in is it, it tells Peter more of who he is and more of who he isn't which is the very definition of humility. Jesus did not say to Peter, you're not a sinful dude. In fact, what we're going to learn over the course of Luke and the story of, of Peter's life as he follows Jesus is that, G that Peter is an immensely flawed man, which is so helpful because all of us, men and women, can relate to that. I know what it's like to let myself down and those down around me. I know what it's like to, to intentionally, willfully go against the words of Jesus and so Jesus isn't shy about saying, Peter, you're a sinful man. But that doesn't mean that we are separated. We often let our sin be the things that separates us from Jesus. And so please hear clearly. Jesus is saying, I'm already aware of it. I already see it. I already know it. And do not run from me. Come close to me. See, we have the idea in our heads that sin has to separate us from Jesus. And it does if we haven't accepted his death and resurrection, his sacrifice on the cross. But once we have done that, sin no longer separates us from Jesus eternally. It can separate us in the moment. It could cause us to feel guilty and to reinforce shame in our life. 
And Jesus is constantly saying, no, 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 I'm here to forgive that. I'm here to let that go. Repent, confess, and let's move on past it. For us to grow in our humility of learning who we are, that a created daughter or son of the Almighty God who has chosen to sin, that's not who we're intended to be, that we would grow in an awareness of that and humbly come to Jesus over and over and over. And as we learn to do that, what happens is that we become formed into new people who are actually so much better for those around us and that we practice humility with those around us as well because our source of identity and hope and strength is from Jesus and not ourselves. So would we grow in humility? And the last one is this, that we would grow in our awareness of Jesus' mission. Jesus does this amazing thing at the end. He says, do not be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. Do not be afraid, you will fish for people, which is this fascinating thing of like, okay, I'm gonna go catch people. Yes and no. Like, don't do that because you can get arrested for that. But be Jesus to other people and help point other people to Jesus. That's what we're called to. And we have an awareness, a growing awareness of Jesus' mission over the course of our life, which is people. It's every single person that we ever interact with and see. And that we do the hard, long journey of of removing the lens and the ideals and the ideology that our culture places in our minds and in our eyes that we see the rest of humanity. And we delete that and resist that and take that away and put a way of seeing people that is a biblically formed way of looking at every single person that we ever see as first and foremost a created, designed, carefully crafted daughter or son of the Almighty God. And when we see people in that way, whatever other definition or descriptor our world wants to place on them, when that is the priority, we see them as somebody who is loved by God. And as we bring our own growing humility of our ability to say, I'm not supposed to be this, but I am this. I'm not yet this. God's calling me to be this kind of person. That we're able to see people through the lens of Jesus as valuable and worthy, whether they agree with us, whether they look like us, whether they're very different than us, whether they've offended us, however we view them, that we view them first and foremost as a child of God. Fascinating thing about this story is that I've read it so many times over the course of my life, and I, I always picture, maybe you've heard this before, is that they, they leave everything. Well, yes and no. They left the most commercially successful shift at their job in their life to follow Jesus. But as we read the rest of the account of Luke and the other Gospels, fishermen who go and follow Jesus actually don't cease to be fishermen. They still have the skill. They can still pick up a shift here and there. They still work as fishermen and they still fish and they still eat the fish that that they catch. What they do is they take the priority of their identity and they move it down a few notches and they put in the first foremost place Jesus. And so would we all seek over the course of our lives to grow in our awareness of Jesus and his holiness, to grow in the awareness of ourselves and grow in humility and grow in an awareness of the mission of Jesus in this world that we each are invited to be actively involved in. God has called us as a church 
to be doing this on a regular basis. He's called us to make disciples and to equip and commission people. And as you heard earlier, we, we're going to do that today together. And so I want to invite somebody who has been following Jesus for some time, and she's responded to Jesus' calling in certain ways in her life over the course of her life, that Jesus has said, do this, and she's responded with yes. And I want you to hear a little bit of her story, and then we're going to pray for her and commission her. And so would you welcome uh, Renee as she comes up here? Scoot over here. What's that? I don't know. We we didn't like map this out. So let's try this. Uh, Renee, thanks for thanks for being up here and just scoot over this way just a little bit. Um, So I want to ask you a few questions. You've been uh, around Portland. You you and Ryan and your family came to Portland a little over four years ago. Can you can you share with us kind of what led to that? Yeah. How much do you have time for, right? Like your whole life leads up to these things. Oh, we're sitting. We're comfortable. Um, (laughs) Um, Okay, so so yes, we've been here for four years, and this was not something that... Am I still on? Okay. This was not something that, like, we'd been dreaming about for years or anything. This was very much um, God's hand in our life. Uh, There was a season of life that happened in which I was fortunate, (laughs) by God's grace, to just be drawn in and to really fall in love with scripture. And it had a really transformational effect in my life, of course, as we know that the living word of God does. And when that happened, um, parts of me that God had gifted me with and talents that he'd given me just kind of stood up and said, I need to serve God. <laughs> this is what I need to do. This is who I am. And now, and I follow Jesus passionately, and so all the pieces of me need to do that too. Um, But I needed to be equipped because those talents and those giftings are teaching, and I really wanted to do it well for God. I wanted to to handle his word really well um, for his glory. I looked around me right where I was planted at that moment, and I didn't see a way forward in being equipped and being a teacher. So Uh, I decided that um, seminary was the route I wanted to go, and through a whole bunch of twists and turns, ended up here to go to seminary. We we felt this invitation from God to lean into something that was even bigger than just me going to seminary. It was about a a whole change of how to be parents and how to be a family and how to follow him together. And so we did. We came here. Um, I attended seminary, and here I am. So... Um, that's really covered a lot really fast. Well <laughs> right. done. That's um, so a key moment in your life, transformational season, mm-hmm. um, and and then you you respond with yes. Uh, you and your family, you and Ryan and your kids move move out to Portland. Um, when you say teaching, for many of us, we automatically think um, oh like uh, like what I just did, like in, in a in a Sunday kind of thing, and as, as a pastor. Um, but you have a very clear way that, that you're living that out. Can you share with us what those are in your life now? Yeah, um, kind of to narrow down what teaching means to me and what I'm passionate about is I'm, I'm really passionate about helping people read their Bibles. I want, basically I want to give people the gift that I received when I fell in love with scripture. And so um, I didn't know what that meant when I started going to seminary. I, did, I didn't know if I was going to end up on a stage on Sunday mornings or what that meant. But um, through this season of figuring out 
what God had in store for me. Um, he's given me opportunities to do it. I, I, I had to just trust that if I was faithful to say yes and to promise him that I would say yes, that he was going to start bringing these opportunities. So first and foremost, my, my primary audience for teaching is my family. They get to listen to me on end often. I have four children, so they get to listen to mom teach often. Right, guys? Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's, my, that's my primary place. That's, that's, one of the, that's the primary place God's placed me. And even if I never had any opportunity anywhere else, um, I'm going to be faithful right there in my home. Um, then also, he's placed me here at Mosaic. When we came to Portland, we showed up here. We didn't know why we showed up here, but we showed up here. And now, through this place, the, the people that I've met here, through um, Tim and the rest of the Mosaic staff, I have opportunities to teach here, to write here, to, to create curriculum, um, all kinds of opportunities along the way that I say yes to. And then now that I'm done with seminary, I work um, at Multnomah University. So I work at a Christian university where I'm not actually teaching, I'm not in a classroom, but the work that I do is supporting people who do. And so the work that I do today um, there is still supporting my passion of people learning to read their Bibles and falling in love with Scripture and doing it well. And then I'm, there's a whole slew of other ways that I, I see my whole life as an opportunity to say yes to teaching in moments and in, in big opportunities and small ones. Um, and so it's really about having the commitment myself to say yes when they show up. One of the reasons that I'm so excited to have Renee share what God has been doing in her life over a number of years and now is because it's right, right where she is. She sees all of who God's made her to be to be available to him and use for him. And so when we talk about commissioning, Renee, you're just such a, a great example of you're following Jesus, obeying Jesus right where you are and all the, the gifts, skills, abilities you have, you know, uh, a wife to Ryan, a, a mother to four kids, and you're using the gifts that God's given you. And so um, that's just really exciting. And then just that beautiful picture of home first, like that's where God uh, has... Uh, who he's made you to be first and foremost, and you're living that out. Uh, and then here at Mosaic, uh, many of us have benefited from Renee's uh, just skills and gifts uh, over the last four years. As she has, she mentioned curriculum, we've done a uh, whole kind of church-wide uh, study guides at times and things like that. And I, I need you to know that this, we didn't plan this out this way. Um, it, it just happened that the, the app thing that I showed you earlier um, was Renee and, and her husband, Ryan. Um, when you go to seminary, you don't learn how to build an app. That no, was Ryan. No, I can't do that. Uh, so <laughs> Ryan did all that. And so this is just really cool timing that, uh, that, that that's their thing. And so you're actually serving us and, and teaching through the questions and the, the content that you're building on that. And so we get the benefit from that. Last question is this. Uh, who, who's with you on this journey? That's a question that we're asking ourselves regularly. But who is with you? Um, yeah, this is, this is an amazing question to me because... When we left Illinois, that's where we're from, when we left Illinois, we felt like we were leaving behind everything that we had and everybody that we had. And, and while that is true, and that was, that was a, a major part of that transition, God has been so faithful to not replace people, but, but to bring us people here, in, even to an abundance, more than we had there. And specifically through our family here at Mosaic, or our community here, 
He has placed some really key people in my life that have affirmed the talents and gifts that God's given me and have found me avenues and opportunities to use them, have advocated for me in a way that I didn't even know I should advocate for myself, have really modeled that well for me. Um, and, and yeah, just giving me that opportunity to kind of chase those down. Do I get to name people? Yes. Yay. Go for it. Um, Adam Harvey was probably one of the very first ones. I joined LIT. One of the things that I was like, give me an opportunity, God. I'm going to join something. And I got to work right alongside him. He came alongside me confirming, giving me opportunities to write. It was amazing. Um, my husband has been my, my, my I don't want to say cheerleader, my like, yes, you can. Yes, this is, this is real in your life. Keep going. Don't stop. So Ryan has been one of those people. Um, Kim has been an amazing mentor to me who's walked alongside me and let me process all of the doubt and that I don't know what I'm doing or how I'm doing it all along the way. And then um, Becky Jossberger, she's really, I felt like the one that just has fought hard for me to show me how to fight for myself. I'm still not as good at it as she is, but, um, <laughs> um, but yeah, those are, those are some of the, the key people here. So we want to invite you guys up, and, uh, and um, Becky is actually going to pray uh, kind of a commissioning prayer uh, for, uh, for Renee. And uh, even if you're like, uh, Renee, we're buds and you didn't list me, uh, you can come up too. So, um, yeah. Um, and so here's, here's how we do this. If, if, if you've not been around uh, when we've kind of commissioned somebody like this before, is if you're comfortable, if we just ask that you extend a hand kind of in solidarity, that we, we affirm and celebrate what God is doing in this person's life, and we want to join in prayer as we, as we commission Renee. Yeah. Um, before we do that, I want to thank you, Renee, and not for naming me as one of your people. I didn't know I was one of your people. Um, but there are some things that you have done that may have made it really um, effortless, kind of, to be your people and showing up and just deciding, like, okay, Mosaic's my place. Whether it's perfect or imperfect, it's my family. And she always looks so polished up here. Um, actually, I've never seen her not look polished. But I know the struggle with doubt and why am I doing this and will it hurt my family and God, I want to serve you. What are the ways I do that? It doesn't have to be Christian ministry. What will it be? And, and I know those things are really dear and just letting other people walk with you through that. And um, yeah, I'm just really grateful for you. So that's my thank you. If you'll pray with me. Gracious Heavenly Father, we have covered the gamut this morning from mourning and crying out to you in a time when we're hearing about things that we don't even know how to comprehend that are happening in other parts of the world and longing for peace and some sense of justice in the midst of chaos to... Um, getting to watch how you are working in our family, our church family. Um, thank you that in the midst of chaos, you still draw near to us. Um, no matter how big I see you being, Lord, I, 
I never fully understand that you aren't distracted because you're taking care of war. <laughs> you're also still here calling us to serve you. And as Renee and Ryan and her children and her family continue to serve you in the places and the ways that they, um, that you've gifted them, thank you for your invitation to them. You're making clear to them how that should look in their lives. Um, Lord, the number one thing I pray is that you be with them. That is your most stable, most repeated promise and the peace of you that we can cling to when we don't understand the other pieces. Lord, would you be with them as you invite them to the task of walking in your world in a way that represents you. Lord, help us who are in this church family to be there with them too. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we thank you for the honor of being part of the work that you do. In your precious name we pray, amen.